Carl Conte is a graduate student at the University of Warwick, studying global media and communication. He's written for USA Today Network and is currently the editor of several publications. So, Hal, how are you doing? I'm going splendidly well. How are you? I'm pretty good, yeah. So we've got this exciting project coming up on Other Life. Um, community form, you know, if you're not on it, you should try and get in. It's really good if you're, you know, independently minded thinker. Um, so Hal's, you know, been nice enough in the community to to organise a upcoming symposium on the, the subject of the t- uh, two cultures. And um, this is in reference to C.P. Snow's essay, um, The Two Cultures. So we're sort of reviewing this almost, I think it's 60 or 70 years um, hence the publication of the essay, which had quite a big impact. So, um, yeah, so, so how, what made you kind of choose this essay specifically? Well, uh, I guess I think a lot about the ways that, uh, the ways we think about technology in our society. It's a theme, it's all, all over the media. Their technology is one of the most common things within uh, the business media, just within public in general and a lot of people and me myself included I'm one of these people we tend to look at technology and be like well a lot of the problems we're facing today can be chalked up to the influence of social media the influence of computers and yet these are things that we know so little about how they actually operate it's one thing to say that oh well algorithms are doing this and algorithms are doing that but I mean, people might have a basic understanding of what an algorithm is, like a truth table or something like that, but they don't really know, like, how this works. If you go to, like, and you're not expected to know how this works either. If you're at a dinner party and you're talking about algorithms, of course, this is before coronavirus, maybe, you wouldn't necessarily know what that was. Whereas you might need to know or be expected to know within literary sphere, within the social sciences, the ins and outs of various academic theories. So a lot of people blame the social sciences for what's going, blame the sciences for what's going wrong. And a lot of people also uh, at the same time think about the humanities and uh, of course the humanities encompass literature encompass to a certain extent, things like political science. Of course, one of the things that's true is since C.P. Snow came up with the idea, there has been kind of this mix of humanities and sciences more in this than the social sciences but a lot also would say well it's the humanities facing today you could blame forms of literary theory for creating what's called like wokeism or something like that if you're on the right you might say that's kind of the problem that's facing society versus if if you're on the left maybe you'd say well oh nationalism and all these created uh created identities are ruining a lot of society and causing people to behave in extreme ways that are irrational and uh, damaging so either way it seems like there's this conflict between people of various minds and conflict between these forces in society and these were things that uh cp snow kind of mentioned his own uh, in his own original lecture he was one of the points he made was basically that he kind of blamed various uh, various literary figures for being irresponsible or having bad politics during the during the world wars well at the same time, uh, the kind of uh, the kind of response to him uh, by Livinus Levinus was basically this uh, this idea that well, you you're not looking at uh, you're not looking at the impact of science without without these new technologies, the world wars wouldn't have been nearly as disastrous as they actually were. Mm. So just looking at this uh, looking at this conflict today, and uh, it, can you really blame one of these things? And just coming to a settlement as well, because I think a lot of people on 
other life or on indie thinkers as kind of the uh, it used to be known as much so it, within this community we get people who are kind of of both minds mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who are very interested in uh, all the latest technologies things like uh, cryptocurrencies nfts which are kind of themselves an interesting blend of artistic creations and kind of tech high technology you also find a lot of people who are very interested in kind of more traditional theory or literature so i think that it's a very good place or venue to have this conversation which uh, which is a very important one i have a feeling yeah yeah i think you've identified that correctly um so some of the some of the examples you gave were um mostly of the sort of you know the prestige that comes on with Academy being, you know, as a result of the humanities side of things where you're, you know, expected or implicitly, you know, you need to know about certain literary works inside out. You need to know about certain theories. Um, And obviously you've identified that, you know, the the STEM side, technology side, however you want to define it, is at fault um, in a way that it, you know, myopically marches forward in progress and, you know, we can we can see from the results of the 20th century that technology is not always you know used for good right knowledge is not always used for good truth is not inherently good so i don't know in your mind just a personal view which 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 side do you think is most at fault oh that's i mean that's a very good question first i mean i might as well uh just start off by saying i am i am a humanities person i'm the type of person where if i see a piece of technology i just throw up my hands and run away because I mean, I'm a, my day job. I'm a journalist. I'm, I'm currently studying, but uh, but I'll, I'm a journalist. I'll probably eventually try to get more into academia again. But that being said, I'm not entirely sure if this can really be understood on the level of technology or science itself. If you actually had to ask me what you believe the real problem is, I don't believe the problem. One of the main problems facing society today are robots or artificial intelligence as much as this notion of automation, the idea that you can have this idea, this logic that is sort of on autopilot. Mm-hmm. And I believe this is something that can exist in the humanities as much as it can within the sciences. So there are all, if you think about what is ideology, like no, where, what are the two, I, logic of ideas. There are a lot of ideologies which have taken to the logical extreme can be completely like a joke or a parody. Like the idea of, the idea of, in the case of Hitler, okay, Jews run the world, extrapolate from that. What are the logical conclusions of that? Like, and just taking these ideas to their kind of conclusion can be a totalizing force. That, so I'm not entirely sure. I don't believe either of the disciplines are at fault. I believe it's the way we use both of them. Yeah, I think I would agree. It's, it's I mean, that sort of um, an idea, or as I would probably say, some sort of normative ideal, taken to as extreme this goes for technology like i like i already brought up sort of the notion of progress and you know you see this with a lot of um kind of linear technologically minded people where they see everything going in one direction and always getting better and i don't know i don't know if that's always necessarily true if we could you know draw from history i i think right or the logic of technology itself yes like a piece of technology can have its own people always talk about like the idea if you did have like a super powerful ai and you gave the AI a task. Oh, well, the AI in pursuing that task in a monomaniacal way might literally just undermine everything else because it's solely focused on that one objective. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
yeah i mean it's a combination of you know we ask we ask the hyper powerful ai to you know solve uh, solve the problem of uh, human environmental destruction and it decides that the best way to do that would be to get rid of all the humans <laughs> like yeah i mean so many yeah, of the unforeseen yeah, things we, we don't we don't see you know um and that's and that's kind of the problem with a totalizing system is you know the universe entropy is a law of the universe and there is no such thing as a ubiquitously um, perfect system i think i think that's a that's a that's a tautology yeah no, no so i really hope uh, i really hope we get at least a few of uh, some contributors for this have people read each other's essays and then really uh and then really have a recorded session and uh, eventually it would be great to have these put together in some form of pdf the various contributions i'm still not entirely sure how to distribute that i do believe it will be impossible to really get people individually get the money or proceeds from this so i don't believe anybody's contributing this with the idea that they'll make money off of their thing but uh but if if this podcast this could be released the recording as a podcast and then this uh document could be released in some way i believe it would really be a a great piece of uh just open research that people could reflect on there's been a few people who have tried to kind of replicate the conversation overall or bring it up at various points throughout the decades since the original uh since the original argument was made but i think we're at a point right like kind of right now in history where this is a very important debate especially as like technology with we've just experienced a year when two years when everyone's kind of been forced online and all of our thinking has been done through these devices because of the pandemic and now of course there's the rise of the metaverse is this concept where everyone's just going to i guess according to zuckerberg and all these other people it's going to be a huge part of the industry where people are just going to be experiencing life through a computer and the question is what what will that actually mean yeah i think we we've already you've already brought this up in terms of the other life community is that you know this is an open piece of research it's not like whatever monetarily prestige really driven and that's sort of the nature of the other life community at the moment it really is sort of a voluntary community and interestingly enough i would i would kind of put this against the sort of as i would put them decaying institutions because in a lot of ways people join these institutions for other reasons such as prestige or you know that's the only place to get accredited in some sort of way um and you know the community on other life is really like diametrically opposed to that conceptually but the, I mean, the thing, the thing that stuck out to me with um, Snow's essay, at least for me personally, was the fact that, you know, his whole discussion centers around the academy. And that's the academy in, term, in the traditional sense, you know, specifically talking about Oxford, Cambridge, I believe. Um, but it, I think, it, you know, you can extrapolate it. And I feel like Snow there is really identifying the early seeds of, of, of decay. And we now see the results of it where I, I'm not sure how much longer the universities are at least you know surviving number one but two having the prestige they've always held in their current form um in terms of in terms of the, the split between these two um these two cultures and you know in a way that's sort of metastasized in a weird way today what what extent do you think that those legacy institutions or the very idea of prestige in- institutions are responsible because i think they've played quite a big role well, I mean, in terms of the response, they certainly are playing a role in this dynamic because on one hand, a lot of the traditional inherited uh, 
kind of prestigious universities and, and such are related to their kind of old humanities roots. You think about places like Oxford and Cambridge. I mean, those started basically for related to the church or something like that, or religious based, and they expanded the humanities disciplines. But I mean, in more recent times, what has been the mantra of nearly every single academic institution? STEM, 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 STEM. All of these institutions have increasingly moved towards we really want to focus on this because this is where the economy is. Right now, I mean, there's a bunch of people in the UK who say we should not we should not have the state pay eventually pay for the student loans in the UK of people who are taking so unquote quote unquote Mickey Mouse degrees, which I guess is their kind of goofy term for these various a lot of a lot of them are humanities based but a lot of these degrees that are not expected to pay off the idea like the degrees won't get people those salaries in the long term so on one hand the universities themselves are kind of denigrating some of their own traditional imperatives in favor of we want to be jobs based we want to be skills based we want to be stem based but at the same time, a lot of the reasons why the university's humanity sides are being criticized is because they've increasingly, I guess, taken on more of a politicized approach to the humanities. I don't believe there was ever an approach to the humanities that wasn't political, but I do think that there are people within certain sides, I believe that especially like the right wing of the political spectrum are saying that the university's uh, political approach has become too left-leaning. Mm -hmm. in recent times as well as just highlighting a bunch of theories which to a lot of people who aren't kind of immersed in them might seem overly esoteric and, and detached from uh detached from people's ordinary lives yeah yeah, yeah that's the issue and i I've, i mean i've gone through a phase where i was calling you know the fact that the humanities have debased themselves as a result of some sort of you know left-wing influence but i I think fundamentally, when it comes down to it, they've become like psychologically quite self, in, like self-indulgent. For example, I mean, there's no, there's not a problem with studying popular culture and media, but it, it seems like the majority of of people going to write their dissertations in the humanities are doing them on something like this. It's it's, it's all contemporary media in collision with some sort of political angle, right? Some sort of theory angle. Um, but I don't know in what I think this, it's fair to say the sciences have debased themselves as well because of this focus on um, economics and utility as well. I don't. What, what do you see as the? Is there a fundamental difference between the humanities and sciences? Just to get back to some sort of first principle, do you think there is a, like what's the essence of these two things? So I mean, recently I mentioned earlier how there has been kind of an attempt to bridge. Uh, kind of bridge the two with social sciences so of course something like economics is not a science in the way i mean i'm not i'm not saying this degree, but it's not a science in the way that physics is a science and it's also not exactly literary studies either it has a, it's it's mathematized in its own way and it has its own sort of logic to it uh in terms of the fundamental differences between i mean there are some people who say like they're people with scientific brains and people with literary brains I'm not sure if that's entirely true, but I do think that both have kind of been discredited for similar reasons. Part of that's related to kind of the totalizing thing I mentioned earlier. And then part of them, I believe, is that both have become politicized. We've all seen over the past year, just the past two years, how science has become a politicized notion with the pandemic. You have politicians saying that mm -hmm. they stand for the science or the science is behind me. And you find that on both, you would find that on both sides. And of course, 
the way that science has been applied in this political way has meant when that when there's things that are when science is wrong when people because of course science can be wrong it's a process it's not uh it's not a should not be a tautology when science is wrong then people kind of blame it in a political way so i mean this is something that's really damaged the entire pandemic has damaged the sciences quite badly i think there won't be people there'll be people who before now would be inclined to see like if somebody said well science says this they'd be inclined to take it at face value whereas now i think there are a lot of people who are really disillusioned with that so i i think that does further add to the crisis of the universities in a certain way because before maybe you'd be able to appeal to some people who were like well the universities are just turning out a bunch of useless people who discuss popular culture. Well, I don't think that's useless. I think people who might think that is useless, but think, oh, well, this science stuff, at least that makes money in some way, or at least that benefits society in some way. Now they'll be more skeptical of that because the pandemic has really revealed a crisis at the heart of, uh, at the heart of the sciences as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not sure if I answered your question. No, no, it was a good answer. I think the interesting thing about Snow's thesis is, you know, we've mentioned that it was 60, 70 years ago. It resonated at the time. In 1959. Was... Right, so, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so resonating at the time was seen as important at the time, right? right? And I think, you know, the reason why you've brought it up is because, you know, it, it still seems to resonate in some way, still seems to seem important for us, even though these things have been debased in some way we've identified. I mean, with this project you've kind of publicly put out, oh, these are some lectures to watch. These are some reflections people have given to this topic over the years. You know, it's 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 interesting how in our discussion today, we've already identified the fact that, you know, although some people, for whatever political reason, might say that the humanities is the only part that's debased itself, but you've identified a reason that, well, the sciences in a way have debased themselves as well or been debased by external forces. It's interesting that, you know, this thing has been resonating for 59 years or, or whatever. And it's, it's almost like nothing was done about it. It was almost like a, like a necessary process to get to this point where these things are so debased, kind of brought down to the same level. Like, what, what is the, what's the path from here? What, what's, the, what's the rebirth? Was it necess- Did we have to get to this point? Was it necessary? Well, I mean, I guess there are a few things. There are a few things... I might mention uh, one thing is that yeah no definitely these are in crisis but uh but of course cp snow was identifying a crisis back then and we might say that uh the humanities have debased themselves now but snow snow gets into his part of his condemnation of the humanities that a bunch of these writers supported fascism during the during the before this second world war i mean you look at a bunch the whole bunch of the modernist uh the modernist authors a lot of them were outright pro-fascism so that was kind of that romanticist side of the literary sphere and of course at the same time like he doesn't really get into this as much i'm not sure if it's because his oh well anything related to like his own personal perspectives but like you can also easily look to the period and you see if you're this type of person who would condemn this sort of thing you could say oh well a bunch of people who were poets people like brett were very pro like stalinist totalitarianism so and of course today you find people who again are using these humanities ideas to justify all sorts of perspectives that that just would be totally disastrous in one way or the other of course that's also a matter of debate i think it's a good thing that the political spectrum is larger than it was say 20 years ago there are more perspectives in the 
public debate that people are actively discussing. But I do think that from a certain perspective, this is certainly also making society much more risky. And uh, I mean, even right now, there's this whole debate over Ukraine and uh, uh, Putin's kind of using as a justification for his maneuvers. He's like written this whole essay. I'm not or here's ghostwriters written this. He certainly seems to believe it about how Ukraine and Russia were both part of like Holy Rus, like this old idea of Russia. That's very, I mean, that's something that's straight out of a kind of historically constructed nationalistic like ideology. And uh, I mean, so I'm not really sure if there, I mean, in some ways I do think that both, I think that the period right after the second world war was kind of a high point from for the American university system in particular, because we got in a whole bunch of uh, thinkers and intellectuals from Europe. And that's true of both the sciences and, and the humanities. I mean, but the question of if either one of these forms of thought is more moral inherently than the other, I don't really think there's been any moral decline. I think maybe there's more of an intellectual decline than a moral decline of any type. That, that's interesting. I want to stick on that point. What's, what is the difference between an intellectual decline and a moral decline? Are they in any way connected in your mind or not really? I'm not sure because I was just mentioning how, yeah, during the period you obviously had people who had just as, I guess, what you might say problematic opinions in both the sciences and the, both the sciences and the humanities. You might even argue there's probably progress today. I mean, during the, during the mid 20th century, there were still people who believed in lots of things that we might now find abhorrent. I mean, if maybe if we, maybe some people would say we've gone too far now in, in various in various aspects of like modern progressivism or people who still still we still have further to go i think there are a lot of people who most a majority of people would probably say that society in terms of our morality is probably better than we were in 1945 or something like that but i don't think that uh i think progress in recent times has really has there's really been stagnation there's this joke of course there's the meme that online that since 1971 various parts of society have kind of stood still in terms of uh i and in that area i would say that scientific progress uh as well as kind of uh literary humanities progress we, we really have been in this loop in both cases i mean one thing that is kind of notable here is that that was a period when they begin to have a significant a significant effect. A lot of people say the reason why the kind of rebellions of the 60s happened was because these universities, which before the GI Bill had really been designed for a much smaller group of people, you got this huge rise of people getting degrees. So there's also that idea that people have referred to of elite overproduction. So I think both of those maybe do relate in some way to the reason why we're kind of facing a crisis in these today. So there would be an intellectual decline, not necessarily a more decline but kind of when you have a bunch of people who are kind of i mean there's this idea of like a midwit you have a bunch of people who are educated who are educated and go through this process which before maybe only a small select group of you would go through but now kind of everyone's done it so you end up with this kind of middle brow uh entirely middle brow culture on the intellectual level yeah that's a good point to bring up i'm <laughs> definitely a subscriber <laughs> to midwit theory i don't know what you'd call it but i'm definitely subscribed to it to be honest um i probably include myself in the category to be honest um, yeah oh yeah i would too <laughs> so so it's interesting though because 
and this is a i i don't know what the comparable situation is in the us but it was sort of a fixation of the uh, tony blair era and beyond in the uk to sort of you know oh we've got to increase the number of people going to university therefore you know everyone will be working a white collar job and that's somehow somehow better i don't know they they earn more money so they it's better um but you know as a result you've just just loaded up um generation with debt and you've debased the value of a degree at least economically that's one of the things that we were supposedly saying got better um and instead of training some sort of genuine elite of renaissance people who are knowledgeable both in literary and artistic matters but also technology and philosophy and these sorts of things you've necessarily had to water down the curriculum in some way and I think that might be a good way to explain maybe not the initial thing that Snow was ad- object, like identifying, where I think it was more to do with politics and individual temperaments of people. But I think the things that have later later occurred are maybe as a result of this like this watering down process. And essentially, it seems today that universities, with all their administration excesses, all of their you know. Their, various student cause excesses um, with a complete lack of any sort of traditional rounded education have essentially produced people who are very good at working in large organizations in the middle tier. So, you know, and then we wonder why we've ended up with a spreadsheet economy. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you agree with that generally? Or is that, am I completely off the, off the, I do think I do think what you're what what we're both kind of discussing is related to this kind of growth of that kind of middle sphere of the social sciences as opposed to the humanities or the sciences. So in one way, the divide that Snow analyzed at first glance might appear to exist less now. I mean, I'm reading in my in my course right now. There are all sorts of uh, papers we've gone through in media studies, and a lot of those are really based on. Uh, kind of looking at media with through this very mathematized way we were reading i read this paper for uh for kind of this midterm assignment on uh analyzing tweets related to president trump's uh decision to withdraw from paris climate agreement so it was like and of course they had this big sheet of like how many tweets use certain words or what types of people are making these tweets and that isn't again that's not like exactly uh traditional science nor is that like a traditional literary type concern that's something that's kind of in between and a lot of the job a lot of the white collar jobs they're not it's not like a scientist with a lab coat nor is this really just a traditional like maybe a maybe journalism is kind of more like this but it, nor is it a journalist or writing job it's kind of in this middle middle sector thing and if you think about it those are a lot of the people who are or these more bureaucratic type positions that do that are the reason why modern society operates the way it is but it's also something that something that uh maybe because of that i was talking earlier about how like automation i see is kind of more of a problem than say ai do kind of operate in this automated way you a lot of these people are also like when we look at jobs that are going to be able to be replaced by AI, 
I mean, my own, my, my father works in uh, at Dow Jones, he works with our kind of coding department where basically if a, if a news article comes across uh, news articles are categorized based on the company. So like GE, the general electric has the ticker, ticker symbol GE, general motors, tickle table, ticker symbol GM and investors would subscribe to kind of a list of stocks or list of companies that they invest in and they get news on those. A lot of these sorts of like intermediary jobs like like that sort of thing or could increasingly be or are being automated so we all we do have this layer of people who are already kind of performing this very bureaucratic role and then which might just get automated so that is kind of a uh, that is kind of a process oriented job that maybe could in some way be considered uh considered part of this stagnation or part of this blob type thing i mean people in the uk always discuss the blob yeah i think it's an interesting question though because i mean let's just take for an example what you're saying all the questions to do with automation or ai however you want to put it it's interesting because if at least the way i think about it i'd be interested to see if you disagree with this is the science of that question is more of a can we do something yes or no right that's you know the hypothesis test it you know it's more of a yes or no question Automate the, the, the challenges posed by automation and AI, in my mind at least, in terms of you know whether it's, it's questions moral as opposed to practical, it's not so obviously a science problem. I think it is more of, that's more of a humanities problem. And it sort of raises the question, like, which one of these two things is ultimately supreme? I mean, in terms of the way our societies run, that's a very good question. I mean, I... I personally think that uh, that the sciences have more of an impact on our everyday lives than the humanities. But I mean, even at the even at that level, you have scientific uh, organizations such as I mean, just just a few days ago, the uh, right wing media was kind of up in arms about how I think one of uh, President Biden's new people people on uh, nuclear energy or nuclear regulation or something is this guy who's like basically into all this kink stuff which was kind of defended under the label uh, under lgbt rights he was some employee at the trevor product project before he was before he was hired as this nuclear appointee and you find a whole bunch of these these types of institutions kind of uh when they're politicized either to the left or the right they do kind of submit so i mean the question of who's really in charge is almost in a certain way, you could say that's a government question. I mean, right now, I think that, I think that science or that scientific decision, that science drives decision-making and creates more kind of power and authority than the humanities. But if the humanities kind of are used as a tool to compel certain certain thoughts and such things or compel people and organizations to behave in certain ways, then I think those obviously have a great deal of power. So, I mean, my own job is, I mean, I mean or, yeah, I, w- I was an active journalist. It, I'll work in, hopefully work in academia. I'll probably do some more journalism. Like these sorts of things obviously have uh, have great deal of power as well. I mean, I mentioned the financial market earlier, like people react to the news and trade huge sums of money based on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, it, I mean, as someone who's got a little bit of a financial background in my my work, you know, it's not so obvious so, that the 
bucklings of the financial market are completely down to you know human emotion and reaction these sorts of things they've increasingly become led by these these ai algorithms and again i think it's a like a really open question because i feel like and again this this becomes even more pertinent as to what degree you subscribe to the um covid lab leak theory in my opinion um but if, if and you know this this applies for so many technolo- technological questions like um self-driving cars and these sorts of things is that that it seems that the march of progress has and this is the i think this is the way in which technology is showing itself as supreme over the humanities is that like i said it's like a yes or no question and the default answer seems to be if if it's a yes then then we can do it and you know if we don't do it someone else is going to do it yeah, no, that's a very that's a very common trope, but I think that does relate to the uh, the the logic based question being more of a problem than the AI question itself. Is like you hear this mantra now over and over again that uh, well, oh, if we don't do it, yeah, China China will install like some dystopian system if we don't ourselves voluntarily do it, and it is it is fascinating. I think, and it should. Uh, it should be. It is almost a challenge because after the Second World War, it was really kind of an imperative in American and British universities that a new generation of people would have to come in age, and they would need to kind of know how to deal with the problem of the Soviet Union. They would need to know how to deal with this war that we were eventually going to have to fight. And now you hear this, and you do hear uh, at the very beginning of uh, twenty beginning of twenty twenty one in twenty twenty leading into that. There was a kind of a language or rhetoric put out by the Biden administration that I actually found quite interesting about uh, techno democracies versus techno autocracies. This idea that you'd have some nations that would really kind of pass laws or kind of drive the discussion around the internet, online regulation, artificial intelligence that were kind of based more in democratic values and ones that would be based more in authoritarian values of course with this democratic values coming out of humanities oriented ideals like the enlightenment such things presumably or human rights well i don't really it's it's it is kind of ironic because so far i really haven't noticed as much of a distinction perhaps as there could exist or should exist between these two systems we we of course you could talk about chinese censorship and such things but there's also like you think of like U.S. content moderation, people being taken off Twitter, people being removed from social media. There's these various attempts to pass all sorts of online safety legislation in the United Kingdom right now, which a lot of people have criticized for, I think, very good reasons. So I think if you if we did think about, okay, what's going to be the project of our generation, that isn't a bad idea, that isn't a bad project, but I really don't believe there's been enough engagement with this concept of what would an actual techno-democracy look like? How would that have to be informed by both the humanities and the sciences? Yeah, I think it's interesting that, you know, this is just, I think this is a result of a, a cultural bias, but, you know, traditional autocracy or very overt autocracies very looked down upon in the West as, as backwards in some way. And I'm not saying it's not, but what I'm saying is just because um, our economy is decentralized, the, the power structures are de- decentralized. I mean, this is this is a Curtis Yarvin point, but just because it's a decentralized 
censorship doesn't doesn't mean it's not censorship at the end of the day i think what you're bringing up is a very important question because i think that we assume just because there is this structure of democracy and a supposed free association um organizations as their own thing you know which is a something that's been you know present since the guilds of the city of london very so it's a very western thing and but we think that these control structures don't have influence and an incredible amount of power in the same if not a more powerful way because they are decentralized they're not from you know they're not from the single party of the ccp or something that they don't have a similar or same effect in crushing a dissent and a dissent that's been present for a while and in a way that probably should have been listened to to avoid the problems we've got now. Yeah, I mean, you think about the role of both the sciences and the humanities in kind of playing a role where people are able to kind of voice that dissent. And I was mentioning, of course, that whole idea of that society has been kind of structured around this middle kind of mid-cult, middle, middle, uh, middle white collar position. A lot of people who are in those lower positions didn't really have their voices heard in this system for quite some time. And now, uh, now through both these instruments of technology and through kind of the humanities, various just different theories as they're being articulated by people, even like really crass forms of nationalism are really being kind of finding an expression now and I guess another question will be how could we really work towards a way where people would be able to use both the sciences and the humanities in ways that aren't just kind of in our lives and play a role in culture where a lot of people on the lower end wouldn't really have any power and at the same time kind of you would have this kind of overarching sort of decentralized seeming but really quite congealed quite collectively congealed uh apparatus that really does seemingly have its ideas replicated across all institutions of society or even if they're not controlled in any central way or in any central conspiratorial sense kind of do operate along similar lines and kind of all repeat similar talking points or imperatives mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I wonder if I could be slightly self-indulgent and sort of test the idea for the essay I want to write for this on you. <laughs> kind of. A... Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> so I was thinking about this and there's a natural inclination for people to hear of this problem and assume that this is a tragedy, that these things are separate and I I sort of have taken a di- different tact. I think there, you know, there should always be room for Renaissance people who are um, talented in, you know, the arts and the sciences. But I think ultimately the arts and the sciences tackle different problems and have a different essence. So the sciences are about a yes and a no question. They're about objective fact as the way science sees it and utility. And I think the humanities speak to a sort of deeper human experiential 
um, attribute, which, you know, is almost like the, the oughts, right? That's the normative things we've been talking about. I, I, I really would press the is-ought distinction, although it's a very basic concept, but I would press the is-ought distinction here. I think they're fundamentally different things. And so, so my kind of idea I want to put forward is, you know, a, a normative value of, you know, maybe these, these cultures, you know, I'm, I'm not for the debasement of which they've, you know, been the victim of. I don't know if the debasement is necessarily because they're separate. I think I'd put forward a normative that, you know, these things are tackling entirely different problems and they should be kept separate, you know, you know, like, for example, liberal science is wrong and scientific art is bad. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a I think there's definitely a danger we've seen in when people do mix these in certain ways. Of course, the whole idea of a post-truth logic to be mentioned here. I mean, when science is kind of made to submit to the humanities, when it's like, well. It's not really about being correct. It's a matter of how different people feel about what the results are more than what science literally tells us. And kind of in the humanities too, I mean, you could claim that a human, that literature, oh, there's a scientific way of doing literature. There's a scientific way, there's a scientific philosophy. I mean, philosophy, science originally was like natural philosophy, but I mean, they have kind of, they very much distinguished themselves in, in, in more recent times and more recent attempts to claim that things like Marxism is a science or things like, uh, like, uh, like you can have a scientific idea of superior and inferior races are mm-hmm. things that really are, re- could really be damaging or, uh, or lead to kind of a corruption within society. At the same time, uh, and of course, you could say that, yeah, literature is more based on kind of more subjective notions of judgment. What do I think is good, not what is literally true? And in that sense, they definitely both have an important role, uh, important role to play. Yeah, yeah. I think that we've brought this up a couple of times tangentially, but I think that temperament is really important as well. I think, like I said, there should always be room for Renaissance people who are talented across the board if they wish if they wish to be if they're so inclined that way but the inclinations and temperaments of human beings are such that they tend to be like you said we opened this conversation you were like oh i'm more of a humanities person and i at the end of the day we have i think we have temperaments and i think they in a way they should be embraced you know yeah i mean i have a i have a friend who uh uh, who I speak to every week and have known him since uh, since second grade, and he is definitely a math, he's definitely a maths person. He's studying at uh, he's studying in Amherst right now, and mm-hmm. he's doing a master's in I think physics. And it's like, yeah, like I couldn't do like I just I don't really think I could do that at all. I like it would be something that would be totally outside my range outside my range of thought. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean the question of. I guess the I guess the question that Snow was really trying to ask is like, why is it that we're expected to? Why is it that people are kind of expected to know one thing? Why is it a source of shame if you're like ask something with Shakespeare and you don't know it? Whereas if you don't know something about some piece of science, it really wouldn't be seen as like that big of a 
faux pas in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is this idea that science and maths are just way more arcane and way harder to understand. And that to a certain extent, liter- literature is just easy. It's just easier to understand. It's more in touch with what people do with their everyday lives. Or, I mean, even just, I mean, I guess this is a way of seeing it too. It's like uh, th- this friend of mine's like, a lot of people like ma- maths because there's only one answer. Whereas literary, and I guess this is the way I see it. Well, I like literary, I like literature. I like the communities because it can kind of just bullshit to a certain extent. And then you don't really need to worry about coming to the right answer. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, definitely there are different people who think that it's easier when it's kind of clear cut. You know, you, you know what you're after. You might not know how to get there, but there is something where you can definitively say this is what, what it is. Yeah. versus it being kind of more open and up, open to interpretation. Yeah, I think, and I, this is definitely true with what you've just said about Snow's essay and your, you know, your own inclinations and, and your friend's inclinations, is that ultimately I don't think this is an intellectual problem. I think this is a social problem. And, you know, that's, we've, we've brought up institutions because they're social institutions it goes all the way down to social interpersonal relationships, right? And this was kind of my point when I brought up the importance of, of difference, the importance of embracing those differences is that, you know, if, if you spent half your time getting really involved with literature and journalism, but decided to, you know, do the mathematics for the other half of your time, you'd, you wouldn't be as good at either. But this is, this is the, the great power of humanity is that, you know, we're social creatures and your friend can be an expert in mathematics and you can be an expert in literature and you can share that knowledge. I, I don't think there's a problem with the distinction between these two things. But I think the, the solution is definitely a social one, not an intellectual one. It's funny. Yeah, this, this guy, uh, he's also up. Uh, and it, people actually tend to say that maths are actually very similar to music and also like learning the logic of a foreign language it might just be like us that's a dip, the same part of your brain that would learn how to apply a system kind of across the board in the way that maths involves a lot of formulas and such things and things like chemistry do too but i do think i mean maybe maybe, maybe we're coming to something here that a lot of kind of this social science like discourse that is now just used around everything people might say like woke language or something like that can take on a very similar characteristic a lot of this might be maybe a positive way of looking at it is saying that this is kind of an attempt to create kind of a lingo that can be used across wildly various different disciplines Mm -hmm. that a more charitable way of saying that oh what why are increasingly some concepts i mean psychology is a great example because that's treated as a science and then it's also like a very clearly humanities influence. It's not like a hard science in a certain way. But a lot of these concepts are kind of used as a shuttle between the two things. And maybe that's where a lot of there maybe that's where a lot of confusion arises. I mean, a lot of problems do come from people thinking like, oh, economics is a science. It can't possibly be wrong. And then mm-hmm. we have something like the 2008 financial crisis or something like that. So a lot of these bridge a lot of these. Uh, bridge language bridge uh, concepts can be draw bridges too where you could fall in if it goes off if it goes on up, off or on at the wrong time yeah yeah I feel like well I think I know so that the the amount of knowledge that exists 
and the ever-expanding nature of it, or at least maybe not knowledge, just information. You know, this is this is true because we're in the information age, but it's just ever-expanding. And you know, everyone's seen that diagram where you know this is what you learn in primary school, this is what you learn in secondary school, and then the PhD is like the tiny little bit on the outside of human knowledge, which is a new thing, right? And you know, rewind a couple thousand years and you know, if you're a scholar at the Library of Alexandria, you can, you in a lifetime, you could literally read the collective compilation of all human knowledge. It was much easier to be a Renaissance person back then. Um, I don't feel like it's really a possibility now. And again, like I said, it's a social, it's less of an intellectual problem because the volume of data is more of a social problem. We need to, we need to, indifference, but like, because that's necessary. Like I said, there's just too much information, but we still need to find a social solution to the information problem probably my biggest because I'm, I'm i'm media studies uh that's kind of my uh my, my ma uh, global media and communications kind of one of my uh one of my own uh big concerns or things that thing i'm trying to think a lot through is this concept of what does it kind of mean to be this to be an information professional or have these various mediating institutions today because what, one way of looking at this is a sort of librarian or a library where unlike the internet, and it's, this is, I believe, entirely related to architecture. This is not related to the amount of information because, of course, a library contained a large amount of information, too. A library is sort of organized in a way the internet is not. And that a lot of these, uh, even the way that uh, information was distributed before, we were talking about, of course, this whole thing, we have this kind of white collar middle class kind of social science-y blob thing is maybe to a certain extent responsible for some of the corruption one thing we don't really have as much anymore are kind of middle minded or middle brow even though this is happening publications or sources which are kind of general interest because you think of a newspaper or you think of something like time magazine it sort of brings together the sciences business are all this stuff and it's doing so on a level that kind of reaches everyone the same way a library would kind of have a lot a large quantity of everything and a very in they're both kind of in this organized way there's a table of contents versus now with something like google or something like twitter you might only subscribe to things that you yourself are personally interested in which would lead you to going down all sorts of rabbit holes or paths. So definitely the question of how do we conceptualize information or think about kind of, yeah, I mean, does a Renaissance man on one hand, and I think about this a lot myself, like, is it better to have kind of that personalized thing? Is it, if, if you told me right now, like you could read exactly what you want to read, like I go in thinking I want to read these five things. These are kind of my preset. On one hand, that puts me in a very focused mindset. I can really dedicate myself to what I am interested in, what I am optimized. If by not getting that totally other interesting, unique insight in the sort of Renaissance type way. So we really don't have those institutions right now that are playing that role in an effective way, in part because of kind of this polarization of the public into their own individual categories as well as just on political lines or other various lines and in part due to i think yeah no we still the internet's still new there's not really any sort of attempt to create anything beyond kind of like a search engine 
in a way this is even indexed in a way that kind of older generations would have recognized. Yeah, yeah. It seems that the internet is certainly, I would say, a very chaotic force informationally. In And to oppose that, and chaotic, I mean, you know, decentralized, and, you know, there's a problem with data retention on the internet, you know, because it's decentralized, you know, we've got libraries of Alexandria going up every day, basically, and then being, <laughs> then completely being disconnected every day. The other, on the other hand, you have a traditional library, which is, you know, almost like an excess of order, which is, you know, great because you have the preservation of very niche interests, which are probably examples of things that are constantly disappearing on the internet. But also you have a centralized location, which, you know, there's the obvious example, the library of Alexandria, and that's a problem as well. How we sort of how we sort of tackle that problem? I'm not 100 sure, but um, I yeah I, I feel like the personalization of feeds and social media and whatever right is is really an interesting point because it's true that um, specialization, whether we're talking intellectually or economically, helps us develop in some way because. You know, if we're all generalists, we can't be on the, the precipice of knowledge. But like you said, there's there's this lack of. Like, I think anyone who's you know really myopic in their interests is definitely guilty of this. Is that there's there's not really a market for that middle brow information anymore. Yeah, as much as it, it feels like the information basis. Because, in part because that's been removed, there needs to be, be kind of this language that connects everything instead of this knowledge that connects everything. Like maybe before, I mean, this whole idea of people talk about like, oh, the canon. People maybe used to have these common works that to a certain extent everyone knew or read or was expected to understand. Now it's like you don't necessarily learn a common list of things. Instead, you learn a common list of paradigms. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter what you teach in the universities as much as you know these various lenses. You yeah. need to know the, yeah, like, in, that, that's common in, very, in literary studies and it's common in, in society, too, I think. I mean, I don't know how to solve this problem. I think, it, I do think I'm go, it's going to be part of what I'm going to get into studying my, for my, uh, master's and phd uh continuing on with those but uh but i believe that is one reason why uh one problem that this kind of two cultures question has to deal with yeah yeah i totally agree um so so yeah we've just been talking about the you know the the two cultures in the 2020s which is gonna be another life symposium i think the plan is to um to have the actual symposium on May the 14th at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time, Eastern Standard Time. Um, so it'll be, you know, a discussion for an hour or two, maybe maybe longer, I should imagine. Um, and, you know, the community is sort of contributing uh, 1,000, 2,000 words and, you know, we'll compile this in some way. And I'm interested to see how that comes out. And hopefully as a community, we'll have more research projects that are hopefully, again, you know, open in this way that, these traditional institutions aren't. So I'm really excited for that. Um, and yeah, so, you know, if you're not already in the other life community, try and get in and all the, all the links will be in the description for this as well as uh, links to links to house stuff. Um, is that, do you have any sort of closing points or is, is that good? Cause I, I, 
I'm really looking forward to this symposium when we come to it. Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to putting this together too. I mean, I guess, uh, I guess if I, if I had any last things to say, it would be, yeah, no, other uh, indie thinkers, other life is definitely a very, it's a very intriguing uh, prospect in and of itself here because it is kind of bridging some of those gaps between the humanities and uh, social sciences in a way that I think has been more productive than I've seen just within society in general. You get a lot of people doing these various different things, but they do, they, people are able to connect their knowledge in certain ways. I mean, there are people who are obsessed with just nuclear energy. That's like the thing they're obsessed with. I'm thinking of a few people in particular uh, within the other life community. But uh, at the same time, yeah, no, uh, Grant, um, uh, uh, Emmett, people like that. But at the same time, these people are also very literate in kind of the humanities uh, topics as well. And some of these other projects more recently, as much as things, I, I personally think there's definitely, I mean, it, it's not even a question. There's definitely a lot of like scamminess involved with NFTs and such things. I think the fact that people are beginning to look at these technologies like Bitcoin, Urbit, all these sorts of things. I mean, to me, to me, it's like I'm the type of person who would only invest in like really, if I was like actually had money to invest, which I don't right now, it would, I'd be investing kind of in like the oldest, most secure companies. I'm not like innovative minded in that way. But the fact that there are these, uh, the arts with these kind of new forms of financial and technological systems i think it's kind of intriguing within the within the realms of the two cultures as well and yeah i know you can you can find me on twitter at uh conti underscore how and yeah no if you want to see i mean i have a website how conti.wordpress.com it's just a bunch of my articles for various websites usa today network and such things um and various uh journalism positions in the uk coming up uh academic uh hopefully programs in the future if and when i succeed in the phd route but yeah no it was great it was great being on here to publicize uh to publicize this uh upcoming symposium yeah it was really good get the juices flowing i'm really looking forward to writing my contribution and taking part now um this has been a really great conversation but you know i, I like to remind ourselves not to take ourselves too seriously so i usually end with a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question but that is um hal if you were on on death row what would your last battle be Oh boy. I mean, I'm just thinking about this right now. Yeah, there's obviously nothing I could do. I was thinking it'd be like something I could do to like stop the execution process. That's obviously not possible. Um, uh, hmm. Just thinking about that. I mean, I really enjoy like the prime. If I like pasta a lot, that's kind of something that I do like eating. But personally, if I knew I was going to be executed anyway, maybe to try, try to find like some like dumb excuse to like, make it last as long as possible. So <laughs> I take something that would take like a really long time to eat. So I don't know what that would be necessarily. Maybe something like really chewy. But uh, but uh, but yeah, no, I that I guess that's the way I'd game it. Maybe just like a huge like thing of lettuce. So I'd just be there the entire time or like rice and I'd like try to eat each grain of rice individually or something just so I get more time I guess I'd see I mean at that point you're screwed anyway like what what are, what are you gonna do you might as well just focus on like staying alive as long as possible with the hope that somebody will save you or you'll get pardoned in our weird justice system but anyway uh-huh yeah so so a head of lettuce and a massive bowl of rice with chopsticks to eat something one at a time something like that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm eating like super slow. 
Uh, that was a good answer. Well, thanks, Hal.